Welcome to the CEC report. It's the 28th of July. I'm Robert Bowick and I'm joined today by CEC researcher Jeremy Beck. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks, Robbie. In this week's CEC report, banking crisis update. Costello is half right. We don't need an inquiry to break up the banks. And stop bankers using workers' savings to cook up privatisation scams. So first, Costello is half right. We don't need an inquiry to break up the banks. This week, Jeremy Peter Costello said a pack of lies to a, it's called the Financial Services Council Leaders Summit in Sydney. And incidentally, a few weeks ago, we reported um, in the alerts, our alert service that financial services is now the biggest sector of the Australian economy. Mm -hmm. right? And in fact, as a sector of our GDP, it's bigger than the City of London is for the UK, which is a really big deal. Um, anyway, so this is taking over. Costello is the chairman of the Board of Guardians of the Future Fund. He's the greatest living treasurer and all this rubbish they carry on about. Um, he's the, but I would argue that he is one of a handful of people who deserve the most credit for the destruction, the neoliberal destruction of the Australian economy. Anyway, so the, some of the lies he said at this event were, there is no need for a banking inquiry in Australia. There's, hmm. not, there's not been the kind of illegal... Uh, illegality that was rife, like you saw in the United States, etc. So forget about that. He said Australian taxpayers didn't bail out the banks in 2008, and that is a crock. Mm -hmm. if, the, if the Australian government had not have done things like the guarantee on mm. the banks, the triple guarantee they gave them, mm. including the first homeowners grant. Mm -hmm. That's an important one that cost taxpayers yeah. a lot of money. And increasing was, it too. Increasing it. And that was to prop mm. up the banks, mm -hmm. not for householders because it didn't make houses more cheaper, it made it more expensive, right? mm. it was to prop up the banks. So anyway, that's all, that's all rubbish. But then he said this, quote, if you wanted to break up the banks, you wouldn't need a royal commission to do it, end quote. And that is spot on. For a different reason, the CEC said the same thing in a press release on the 11th of May, quote, Australia doesn't need a banking inquiry to know that the banks are crooked, and that the retail banks should be split off from all other financial services, a la Glass-Steagall. That was our quote on the 1st of May. Just quickly remind viewers how mm -hmm. Glass-Steagall works, JB. Glass-Steagall is where you split off the investment bank from the commercial retail part of the banking. So you keep the essential part of banking in the real economy protected by the government, whereas the speculators in the investment banking, well, they can risk their own money, not risk everyone else's money by gambling, with ordinary depositors' funds. Exactly. So let's be clear though. We're saying that you don't need an inquiry to break up the banks, and that's true. We are also saying though, Australia does need a banking inquiry. It's just mm. that, that, you know, because there's, there's a lot wrong with the banks, mm. and it preferably it should be a parliamentary inquiry, not a royal commission, because a royal commission is made to be appear to be independent, but it can be rigged by the choice of commissioner and by the terms of reference. Whereas a, a banking inquiry where you get some of these politicians that are actually quite crusaders against the banks, if they get to have a say in an, a proper banking parliamentary inquiry, then that could go places like the PCORA Commission inquiry did in the United States Senate in 1933. That's the kind of thing we need. Because the banking cr crimes in Australia are systemic. That's, that's the issue. And, and just in the last few weeks, we've had examples of that. 60 Minutes, um, a couple of weekends ago, exposed the Commonwealth Bank's abuse of a Cairns builder, mm. right? Where they gave him, they, they kept throwing money at him, throwing money at him, throwing money at him. 
built up his debt to $160 million. And then, just weeks after the latest amount of money they threw at him, they demanded he, re he reduce his debt by half. And the reason why is because the risk was starting to grow on their, you know, the financial crisis was brewing. This was 2007. The risk was starting to grow. And on paper, they're saying, oh, Queensland is a higher risk. Mm. Because, by the way, it's a higher risk because um, you had this outfit in Townsville, which is below Cairns, called Storm Financial, which was uh, lending money like crazy to property investors up there and, and people to, to uh, against their properties to invest in the stock market on mm. margin um, loans and things like that. So their book said, oh, it's a risk. So we, to, for us as a bank to comply with our risk profile, mm. right, we are just going to say, we're going to pull our money out of North Queensland. So mm. it doesn't matter the effect they have, mm. right? Um, bang, pull it back and put big business, put biggest businesses like this guy out of, out of on, the, on the street effectively. So that was on um, uh, uh, 60 Minutes. Um, I want to play a video now, though, because there's two senators, Malcolm Roberts and Wacker Williams, John Williams from the National Party. They are presently conducting an inquiry into the rural banking crisis. And that, you know, this, the 60 Minutes story was for, for a guy that's sort of, a, even though it was his own business, it was a sort of a big operator in Queensland. What happened to him happens to farmers all the time that doesn't get the attention. So they're putting the attention on the farmers. And just this week in North Queensland, this is the kind of testimony they were hearing on, from the um, inquiry. You've got to remember that at any time, and I did talk to this particular bank manager about it, he turned around and told me, yes, at any time, they can deem that your assets are below or value and they can foreclose on you whether you pay your payments or not. So, so even if you're not in financial default or monetary default? Yes. Even if you're not in technical default? Yes. They'll say to you they don't have to be qualified valuers. It's only the grass they value on. It wouldn't matter unless you've got a multi-million dollar home on that place. Your house don't get valued. Your waters you put in aren't valued. Your fences aren't valued. And they don't have to have the evaluation, you know, like, if we get a valuer, we've got to pay for our valuer and get it. But we can't have that. I, I've had valuations done and I'm still not even allowed the, the forms that them evaluation people have. Yet I paid for them four and a half grand. The bank then turns around and said, well, if we do the valuations, we don't have to be qualified to value. This is what's putting us into receivership, people who don't have to be qualified to value us. And what that woman who's a farmer is referring to there is that the banks stack the decks, mm. right? They get to decide if they want to foreclose on you, they don't need a reason. They can say, oh, your your, your value, we, we, we deem the value of your property is much less than it should be for the against the debt you've got. And even though you've been servicing that debt, no, we're going to sell you up, right? Mm. And mm. they don't have a prayer. And this is happening all over the place. This is criminality. The reason yeah. you need a banking inquiry is it would establish who needs to be prosecuted. Mm -hmm. That's why you need a banking inquiry. However, you do not need a banking inquiry to know that Australia should conform to the Glass-Steagall principle as you laid it out. That should be a principle mm. of the financial system all around mm. the world, mm -hmm. right? Gam here's gambling. There's an, there's an argument that you should make gambling illegal. The problem with, and, and I'm very sympathetic to it, trust me, but the problem is, of course, if people really want to gamble, they'll find ways to do it, right? Mm. So what's much more efficient is to say, all right, you're going to do that. Here's a firewall mm. that comes over here. No way. 
Yep. Right? So Can't here's a risk everyone else's money. That's right. Yeah. No banks with deposits have anything to do with that. Mm. That should be a cornerstone principle of the financial system. And it was in America for 66 years until they repealed it in 1999. Mm. It was in the UK unofficially for decades and decades and decades. It effectively was in Australia as well until bank deregulation, right? Mm. That's what we've got to get back. Now, there's a, the global push for Glass-Steagall, which we report here a lot, Jeremy, is getting stronger. We've got a reading from the United States, for instance, where Donald Trump campaigned for a 21st century Glass-Steagall Act. That's actually one of the reasons he got voted in. If he insists that the bill that's been put into the US Congress called the 21st Century Glass-Steagall Act, if he insists that comes to a vote, mm. for the first time, there will be the numbers to pass it. Mm. Because what happens is even though most of the Republicans and pretty much all the almost all the Democrats are on the Wall Street payroll, once they've got a vote, it's much easier for them in the US Congress not to have to vote on things. So they, they have this committee system where they just keep things buried, right? Once they've got a vote on it, They've got to account to their constituents why they voted against something that would protect them from financial predators. Who would argue against Glass-Steagall? You, you've got to be nuts. Exactly. There yeah. is no actual argument yeah. against it. The, yeah. most they, the best they come up with is, oh, it's not going that far ain't, that, ain't really necessary. <laughs> well, no, it is. And so it's a, you mm. know, they don't have a leg to stand on. Um, I want to play another video quickly where this week the leadership of the Democratic Party had a, a, um, a public event in Virginia and... They're scrambling to figure out how to get more popular because even though they're attacking Donald Trump relentlessly for Russia and everyone, they're making him look like a total jackass, etc. The disconnect is that the, the Democrats' support isn't rising, right? <laughs> because the American people are actually not buying this whole picture and they know the Democrats are mostly sellouts. So you have all the leadership on the stage here and an associate of ours, Anita Gallagher from EIR magazine, in the audience asks a question about Glass-Steagall. What's the video? And look at the lady in blue on the left of the stage. That's Senator Elizabeth Warren, who is the main sponsor of the 21st Century Glass-Steagall Act. Look at how she responds when Glass-Steagall is raised, and then look at her colleagues look at her. <laughs> yes. Uh, we agree the economy is in terrible shape. But uh, the financial system is doing very well in terms of profits. I wonder why you don't go behind Glass-Steagall in a major way. Okay. It was Franklin Roosevelt's first piece of legislation. Okay. We're on the verge of a blowout that makes 2008 look minor. So what you see there is, I mean, that she's really fired, Elizabeth Warren's really fired up about this. She is, she was very excited that it got raised. Right? Oh, it's a great little dance she did. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so for Australia, here's, here's the thing. This is what... People who watch this show every time, look, you've got to get involved, right? It's not just for information. We can make a change here. The CEC, as we mentioned last week, we've produced a, for members of parliament, for, to the Australian parliament, it's a proposal for a Glass-Steagall separation of Australia's banking system. And what we're asking people to do, call in, get yourself a copy of this to take to your member of parliament. You as a constituent, therefore, delivering to them. You don't, don't even have to tell them much. If you get to meet with them, do it good. You, you just drop it off at their office if you don't. I'm a constituent, I want the Member of Parliament to act on this issue, right? And it's all explained in there. It's only um, eight, 12 pages long. It's got graphs that show the state of the, the derivatives crisis in the Australian banks, etc. Call in on the toll-free number, 1-800-636-432. Get a copy of that and get involved and take it to your Members of Parliament. When we come back, it's Jeremy's turn. We're going to talk about privatising assets. Welcome back to the CEC report. Stop bankers using workers' savings to cook up privatisation scams. 
So, Jeremy, what we have is a situation this week where Australian fund managers have been in the United States and they're called IFM investors and others, including liberal politicians. They're lobbying Donald Trump to adopt asset recycling as a model <laughs> to, for funding infrastructure because Trump has promised a big infrastructure fund, funding and America desperately needs its infrastructure. What's the first minute of a very famous 2014 um, documentary called by the Institute of Engineers over there called The Crumbling of America? Just what's the first minute of that? Collapsing. We've had some shocking glimpses. The levees in New Orleans, the interstate bridge that went down in Minneapolis, the massive East Coast blackout of 2003. Imagine a month-long blackout. Imagine major failures of water delivery system in the West. Imagine levee breakdowns that can't be repaired. We're headed down the road without much exaggeration of being a second world or a third world country. This is the United States of America. Why is our infrastructure in such bad shape? In our Australian Alert Service last week, Jeremy, in our um, Almanac feature, we talked about two examples, or a number of examples, of American infrastructure that's, that's really bad. One is the Sioux Locks between Lake Superior and the St. Mary's River. And these are America's, a lot of its industries around the Great Lakes, so they mm. can use the cheapness of water transportation. It's a very good system, but you, you requires river locks, right? These are locks that if they went down, 11 million Americans would lose their jobs, mm. right? Incredible. In the 1980s, they were told they're at, they're at risk of going down. The Congress passed a, a um, bill to, yeah, let's repair them. And they never, ever, ever bothered to spend the money. And then in the last few years, they looked at it again, and some accountant did a study that said, oh, for every dollar we spend, we we'll only get 70 cents back, so don't worry about it. <sighs> and that, that's the risk. that They were putting 11 million jobs at risk of that. That's one mm. example. The other one example is there's a bridge over the Hackensack River, which takes um, the, a railway bridge, which, which is the main uh, freight line down to Florida, up, mm. up the East Coast. When the bridge goes up um, so that ship, um, boats can pass underneath and comes back down again, the rails don't align, mm. and workers have to get out there with sledgehammers to bang it back in place again. And if that went down, you'd shut down the entire east coast of mm. the United States, mm. right? And that's the kind of infrastructure they've got. But they don't, they're not spending money on any of this stuff. So it's, a, it's an absolute mess. They do need to spend money. And so you've got mm. these people who said, OK, Donald, here's how you do it, asset recycling. So what mm. is asset mm. recycling? It's where it's actually what Joe Hockey um, pushed and got through in Australia, where the, the government privatises their assets to raise funds to uh, spend on other infrastructure, which the private sector is not interested in. Where they, the private sector can't really make a killing out of it. Uh, they can make a killing uh, out of toll roads, such as Macquarie Bank and the Macquarie Group now, and other companies where they can have user pay systems, yeah. and that's the assets that. The, the private sector wants to you know, tap into, but there's some other assets that the government needs to spend money on. So the government wants to raise money by privatising and then using that that money to, to pay for other infrastructure, which is not necessary at all. No, so why yeah, isn't yeah. it necessary? Well, the, the government, if they did have a national bank, like the old Commonwealth Bank that should never have been privatised, well, you know, they, they'd have all the funds available backed up by the Commonwealth government. 
So we need to get back to government financing of infrastructure, not relying on the private sector. And privatisation, you can only privatise it once. Once it's gone, it's sold, it's sold. And, and when you privatise that mm. infrastructure, of course, mm. it sees the, the primary purpose of that infrastructure mm. ceases to be infrastructure. Mm. They, they do it just to be a, a, a source of a, a revenue for private yeah. investors. That becomes the primary purpose, right? Well, that's the problem with privatisation is, is it's a monetarist theory that, you know, this infrastructure is there for the common good of the people. It's not there as an income stream because a lot of infrastructure, it, it, it really is not there for its isolated uh, use. That's right, that's right. It, it's got to fit in with the whole economy. And for some things, well, the monetarists will say, well, it's just not economic to build this because it's not going to make money. Well, it, it forgets that there's a whole other economy that depends on this the, infrastructure. The, value, the actual value yeah. in it, if governments do it, is that it yeah. makes the economy function cheaply because yeah. it's efficient, yeah. right? And that low cost is where your productivity comes from. They say, no, 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 we want expensive infrastructure. We can make money out of it and you can invest in our companies and get your cut that way, right? Mm -hmm. And what it actually becomes a dead weight on the economy. And they, they have this argument, oh, if you don't do it, it's wasted capital just sitting there. And it's mm -hmm. the same argument that um, they conned all these elderly people into with their reverse mortgages, right? Sitting mm -hmm. in your home, oh, look, this home, mummy, grandma has wasted capital, right? <laughs> you, should, you should get a mortgage against it and you can put that money to work. Yeah. Whereas, you know, a home is a home is a home yeah. and a lot of people have been stung that way. All right, mm -hmm. in Australia, just name some of the people, the main mm -hmm. characters in Australia pushing this asset recycling. Yeah, well, of course, uh, we've had Mark Vale, who's a former trade minister, Joe Hockey, of course. Um, Banker's boy, we used to oh, call Oh, yeah, him. yeah, there's a whole, a whole list of them that we've, we've got um, from the IMF investors, uh, the Macquarie Group, uh, this Transurban, there's numerous... And I noticed um, with, yeah. with Mark Vale, a national, Joe Hockey, yeah. a liberal, yeah. two other liberals I've noticed, Peter Collins, Peter Collins former yeah, treasurer, a, yeah. opposition yeah. treasury spokesman in New South Wales, yeah. Mike Baird, investment banker, former treasurer. Um, these guys are all pushing this, right? Yeah. So anyway, let's take a break and we'll yeah. finish this afterwards. But break. So the cast of characters, Jeremy, we named before the break, mm. um, pushing asset recycling. They've gone to the United States to lobby this as an idea, right? Mm, several um, times too. Several times. Mm, so mm. Goldman Sachs, the big, the, probably the most predatory bank in the world, has just drooled that in the United States there is $120 billion worth of public toll roads alone that could be recycled, which, of course, that's why there's no doubt that's what Macquarie Bank's interested. That's its bailiwick. Um, Macquarie Bank is the company that set up all Sydney's toll roads, right, mm -hmm. and things like that. And here's a, a quotable quote that gets forgotten, so I'll put it back up there. This is from 2003. A Macquarie executive named Dennis Eager got in trouble for saying this, not because it wasn't true, but because he wasn't supposed to say it. He said, quote, We can put up the tolls by whatever we like, and almost as importantly, we can start the tolls on day one by whatever we like. If motorists don't complain about it being too high then we won't have done our job, mm -hmm. end quote. That's, that's the Macquarie Bank attitude, right? So tell the story quickly of Macquarie Bank and the Indiana Toll Road in the uh, United States. It's, it's a major farce. I mean, this, this toll road it was originally built as public infrastructure in the 1950s. And then it was taken over. Macquarie Group is, uh, had a share in it and just ran it into the ground. They, they actually purchased it uh, with only about $400 million of the billions that were actually... Macquarie got it because yeah. they bid way over everybody else. Oh, way over. But they put up of their own money just a small amount. Yeah, and, and then it's leveraged. So they ran it into the ground 
and then um, uh, they, once it was gone, it went bankrupt. Uh, but the, the public have to pay. The, the tolls actually went up from about $4 and now they're around about $12. $12. Uh, so the, the general public's a loser. And they, what ha they what happened to the banks that lent Macquarie the money to buy the asset? Well, then, the European then, banks. Then, then the, the banks have to get bailed out. Uh, the, the whole thing's a All farce. six of them in Europe got bailed out, yeah. the ones that so invested that, in this. The ordinary public bears the cost at the end of the day. No, that's, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Now, Macquarie, when, mm. when this went bankrupt in 2014, the Indiana Toll Road, mm. um, they still made their money, right? Because Macquarie mm. has a model that is sort of, they, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a mafia operation, really. Mm. They always get their money because they get their money from fees. They set up these investments and then they're, they're involved in setting up and then they charge massive fees to the investors and to everybody associated with them. So they made squillions out of it. So the, their asset went bankrupt, but they didn't at all. Mm. In 2015, it got bought by this organization called IFM Investors, yeah, yeah. which is one of the ones over there in the United States now pushing asset recycling. And this is why we've called this this episode, this um, segment, Stop Bankers Using Workers' Savings to Cook Up Retirement Scams. IMF in, IFM Investors is actually owned by 28 industry super funds in Australia. But I'm going to put on the board the faces of the board of this organisation and the, what they call the leadership team or the executive. Four of these people, and we'll mark them, are Macquarie from Macquarie Bank, mm -hmm. right? So this is Macquarie working hand in hand with the industry super funds. And the worst part about that is industry super funds represent unions mm. and union members. It's union members' money. Now, Jeremy, what would the average union member in Australia think about privatisation? They'd be disgusted in it. And, and look, Paul Keating has set up the superannuation system in the first place to create a pool of money for what? this whole scam. It, it, it's it's this, it absolute disgrace. The workers are getting looted here and in the United States when, when these banks and funds fund these infrastructure. They're not doing it for the good of the of Americans. <laughs> it's to steal from American yeah, workers. Yeah, That's yeah. what it's to do. So the, the Australian workers mm. were told when, we, when Keating set up compulsory superannuation, it's for their mm. future, right? It's for the, your retirement. That's what it's for. A, a huge fan of Paul Keating's a few years ago wrote this book. His name's David Love. And it's called Unfinished Business, Paul Keating's Interrupted Revolution. And he had a different take on it. Now, he's not exposing Paul Keating. He's cheering him on. <laughs> His take on what compulsory super was set up for is to paraphrase it, to create, like he said, a massive pool of money that Macquarie Bank could use and that, those kind of operations to buy private assets around the world. So I'll give you the key quote from page 82. Macquarie was on its way internationally. He's talking about the 80s now. It was hardly a household name, but among those whose business it was to judge these things, Macquarie was a real comer, not only in Australia, but in the world. From the Manchester bypass, Macquarie quickly spread its toll roads and tunnelling business to South Korea, Canada, Indiana, Chicago and San Diego. Paul Keating's superannuation reforms would feed the Macquarie machine with the investment funds it needed to grow and prosper. Mm. And that is what's happening now in the United States. This is a predatory operation that it, it, it's actually criminal, right? Mm. So here's, what, here's how I want to end this. If you're watching this and you're in any way associated with a trade union or, you know, have your money in an industry super fund, you should be making us think about this. This is unconscionable that Australia's industry funds, the from little things, big <laughs> things grow, right, <laughs> are involved in this scam. And mm. it's time to say enough's enough. We wouldn't want to tolerate it here and we shouldn't let them push it around the world. Um, but if you want to know more, call in and get a copy of the Australian Alert Service. This is elaborated in detail in there and you can get a free copy of that. Thanks, Jeremy.
Thanks for tuning into the CEC report and tune in next week for more. The Citizens Electoral Council will be present at the Royal Adelaide Show from the 1st to the 10th of September. Come and see us at the Jubilee Pavilion, site G54.